All right. Well, let's jump into the message today. Uh, I'm excited to be with you this morning. Uh, just so you know, I, I mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, if you're a guest here, I'm so excited that you're here. Uh, normally, my wife and I would be out in the foyer shaking your hands, wanting to get to know you. Uh, my wife and son are, are home today ill, and I have a little bit of a thing going on uh, myself. So I'm going to try to avoid all of you because I love you, okay? And so if I walk up and shake your hand and give you a big hug and maybe plant a kiss on your cheek. Maybe me and you have a problem. You might not know that we had an issue, right? I love you guys, so I'm going to try to avoid you today. Um, and I'm also going to try to speak quietly so I don't lose my voice uh, through the rest of this message. But I came this morning because I'm excited to share the Word of God with you, right? Uh, I'm excited because I truly believe that God has a, a message that He wants to give to you. We are wrapping up our series, How Do I? And we're going to ask the question today, how do I have a successful life? How do I have a successful life? That might be a question that we don't really phrase that way very often, but a lot of us want to have success in life. Let me tell you the people who do not have success in life. Those people are dumb criminals. How many of you used to watch Jay Leno and he do that segment on dumb criminals? Does anybody remember what I'm talking about? Okay, I'm the only one. I loved that segment so much. I remember I was watching some replays this week, and, and there was one where Jay Leno, he said, this is the dumbest robber in the history of robbers. And this was in, this was in the newspaper, and this guy showed up to a bank, and he walked up to the bank teller and said, I want $40 million in cash, right? And the teller looked at him and said, sir, we don't keep that kind of cash on hand. But this was a very resourceful teller. And so she told him, why don't I write you a check for $400,000? And the robber was like, that's a great idea. And she said, well, what's your name, sir? And he told her his name, all right? Wrote the check for $400,000, gave it to the man. The man then drove to his bank, and he tried to deposit this stolen check into his bank. And of course, the previous bank had done voided payment, and the police were there to arrest this gentleman, right? Dumb criminals do not have a successful life, and we don't want to be those people, right? We want to have a successful life, and the Scripture gives us a lot that we can use to help us make sure that we're honoring God, and when we honor God, we will have the successful life. If you would please stand with me this morning, and if you have your Bibles, turn with me to, uh, to Proverbs chapter number 1, Proverbs chapter number 1. This is an abomination if you're curious. I'm drinking tea, all right? Anybody a hot tea drinkers? This stuff is terrible. I don't know why you would drink that, but my wife promises me that if I drink hot tea, it's better for me than the coffee uh, for my throat. So I'm going to try it. It's terrible, though. Terrible. All right. Proverbs chapter... We might as well have fun this morning. Amen? Proverbs chapter number one, starting verse number one, says this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and in wise dealings in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray over the word. Lord, we thank you for your word, and I pray that it would be alive to us today. Lord, I pray that it would speak to our hearts, Lord, that it would divide our intentions from our actions, and Lord, that you would reveal the decisions that we need to make, Lord, so we can have a wise life that honors you, Lord, a life that lifts you up, Lord, a life that brings about the purpose that you have ordained for us. Lord, help us to make those decisions today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today, we're going to answer this question, how do I have a successful life? And I think it's safe to to assume this morning that most of us have a desire to be successful. No one starts out in life with the hopes of running into failure and their lives becoming failure. Most people have a desire to be successful in work and successful in life, in their family, in their relationships, and with God. The question, though, is this. What does it even mean to have a successful life? What are the the measures or the defining characteristics of a successful life? If we're going to figure out how to have this successful life, we need to know what we are even aiming at. Is the the measure of success how much money I make? Is is Bill Gates or, or, or Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett, are they the most successful people on the planet because they have so much money? The problem with money and material wealth and success is that when we die, we leave it to someone else. So we know that's not the measure. Is the success measured by how many trophies that I have? Is, is Tom Brady the most successful person ever because he has the most Super Bowl trophies? A lot of you guys are probably angry that I just mentioned Mr. Brady's name, and you're very excited about the Chiefs tonight. Any Chiefs fan in the house? Okay, you guys are excited. All right, is Michael Phelps? One of the greatest athletes of all time, is he the most successful person who has ever lived? The problem with success is this, is that we only remember the victory last week. Probably if I took a poll, nobody remembers who won the Super Bowl 15 years ago. You have to think about it, right? Why? Because that success is short-lived. Maybe the measure of success isn't by what we accumulate, but by the legacy that we leave in our family. What about the Duggars? Are they the most successful people ever because they have like 80 children? right? What about people who've been married for 50 years? Are they the most successful people? Some of us will think, well, yeah, I think that's pretty successful. Well, what if those 50 years were miserable every year, right? Are they successful? This really shows the conundrum that we face as the average person who's born. All of us are born with this inner desire to achieve. The problem is, is that we're not really sure what success means or even looks like for our lives. And furthermore, most of the success that we do achieve in life is either short-term or vanishes within a few years at most. So what does it mean to be successful? And here's what the scripture is telling us in our opening passages. The successful life is not weighed by uh, accumulating uh, uh, trophies or the size of our house or how many kids we have or not even how long we've been married. None of those things qualify for the successful life. Instead, the book of Proverbs shows us a better way. In Proverbs, a successful life means living a wise life. A wise life is a successful life. You see this in the book of Proverbs, that there are two types of people. We, we referenced this a little bit in our first week, and we really need to dive into it deeper here in this week. There are two types of people. 
the wise people and the foolish people. And in our opening passage, here are some things that are very obvious. The scripture is talking about wisdom and it's not talking about head knowledge alone. Knowledge is different than wisdom, right? Knowledge is knowing a truth. Wisdom is knowing what to do with that truth. Knowledge is theoretical, whereas wisdom is practical. Knowledge fills your mind, but wisdom guides your life. Knowledge is truthfulness, but wisdom is usefulness, right? Knowledge gives information, but wisdom provides transformation. We cannot be wise without knowledge. We need to, we need to acknowledge that. Right? You have to have knowledge if you're going to be wise. Right? You have to actually know something in order to be able to apply something. But you can also be, at the same time, the smartest person in the room and still be a fool. You have to be aware of that reality. Boy, you okay over here? We, we prayed for healing. We, <laughs> sorry, I completely distracted me. Don't mind anything going on up here. Are you all right? You're not choking, are you? Okay, we need to call an ambulance. Okay, good. Here's the thing we need to understand. You can be the smartest person in the world, but if you don't know how to apply that knowledge, the Scripture says you're foolish. You're foolish. I had a friend growing up, and his dad was incredibly intelligent. I mean, this dude was an engineer. He was smart, right? We had a real hard time sometimes with what we call common sense. A lot of us know what we're talking about. We've met these people who are so smart. There's that, there's that legend about Albert Einstein, you know, one of the smartest men who was ever born, and yet he didn't even tie his own shoes. Why? Because sometimes knowledge doesn't always apply to the practical application of life. And that's exactly what this scripture is talking about. We need to take the knowledge that the Lord gives us, and then we need to apply it to wisdom in our life. And what the Scripture is, is encouraging us out of this proverb is that wisdom is constantly calling out to us, and we should try to be increasing our knowledge so that we can be more wise. And the purpose of gaining wisdom for the wise is not to have more money, not to have more power or influence, but to know how to deal in righteousness, justice, and equity, right? The purpose of wisdom is not for ourselves, but it's for how we deal with the rest of the world. It's how we interact with our family. It's how we interact with our community. It's how we approach life. We need wisdom in our life so that we can be righteous and we can execute justice and we can treat everyone fairly. Now, the contrasting lifestyle is the fool. Folly is mentioned over and over again in the book of Proverbs, and folly is marked by ignorant and simple-mindedness. Folly is the foundation of the wrecked and unsuccessful life. Whereas the wise try to gain more knowledge so they can deal in righteous justice and treating people fairly, the fool is not worried about any of those things. The fool is only worried about themselves, what brings them comfort in the moment. They're driven by their passions, their emotions at the expense of others and at the expense of their own life. Fools reject God. They're stubborn in correction. They lack understanding. They're filled with pride. They are morally unskilled, and they talk loosely. Those are the two contrasts 
that you are going to find in the book of Proverbs. So wisdom equals success and folly equals ruin. And Proverbs is, is the receipt of the successful life. And it teaches you, it gives you a printout, if you will, of how to be wise. The book of Proverbs is full of principles and those principles are descriptive. And what that means is, is that when you read through these, it's not a guarantee that every time you act this way that there will always be a certain outcome. What it's saying is, is that when you live by these principles, they're descriptive. Most of the time, your life is going to go a certain course and there is going to be success because you are living the way that God designed you and created you to be. And that's really the key. When you're looking through the book of Proverbs and you're reading these these pithy one-line sayings, we have to understand that the Holy Spirit inspired these wise sayings and that this is how God designed you and I to live. Now, with all that, with that foundation, we have to understand this. Proverbs is teaching us how to make wise decisions. I can read the book of Proverbs and nothing changes in my life. I have to make a decision to take what's in there and apply it to my life. So that's what the first chapter is saying. It's saying that the the wise hear, right? I'm hearing what's being said so that I can make a decision with my mind to live differently than the foolish do. The key to a successful life is this. Wise people make wise decisions in order to have a successful outcome. Just think about that. I want to say it again. Wise people make wise decisions in order to have successful outcomes. Life is ultimately a series of decisions. And when you come to a decision point, you're going to either make that decision from the perspective of the wise, or you're going to make that decision from the perspective of the foolish. In life, you're going to have constantly, you're going to constantly have countless decisions in a variety of fields. You'll have to make decisions about how you're going to honor God. You're going to have to make decisions about how you're going to make money. You're going to have to make decisions on how to raise your kids. You're going to have to make decisions on how you're going to build relationships. You're going to make decisions on how to spend your leisure time. Life is nothing more than a series of decision after decision after decision. Even in the simple things, we walked in this morning, half of us looked at the stack of donuts and said, do I eat one or do I maintain my diet? Simple decisions, complex decisions, it doesn't matter. We're always making decisions. And you're either making a wise decision or a foolish decision. You make the wise decision that will lead to success, or you make the foolish decision that leads to life becoming a dumpster fire. How many of you, if we're just honest, you say, I've made a series of decisions and my life turned into a dumpster fire for a season, right? All of us have been there where we made those bad decisions. The good news is we don't have to repeat that lifestyle. We don't have to repeat those poor decisions. Now, here's the scary part. All right, there's good news and bad news. Here's the good news. You have 100% control over the decisions that you make. That is wonderful news. Only you get to decide that. You have 100% control over the decisions you make. Here's the bad news. You also have 100% of the consequences of those decisions. You get to make the decision, but then you have to live with the decision. Additionally, it's not just those decisions that you do make. 
It's the decisions that you do not make that are going to determine if your life is a success or a failure. Sometimes our failure is not in making a wrong decision. Sometimes our failure is just not making any decision at all. Andy Andrews is one of my favorite authors, and he said this about chasing wisdom. He said, God moves mountains of his choosing, but it's up to you to move yourself. And that's exactly what this proverb and this book of Proverbs is trying to do. It's trying to help us make wise decisions. The question is not how do we find wisdom. The question is, are we going to make wise choices? We can find wisdom. All we have to do is open up the book. The question is, are we going to apply that in order to have the successful life? So the question then becomes, what decisions do I need to make in life? If I want to live with godly wisdom, if I want to make wise decisions, if I want to have wise dealings and righteousness, justice, and, and equity, what kind of decisions do I need to make? Well, I think there, there, are, there are several decisions that we need to make in order to be a successful person and live a God-honoring life, and I want to share them with you. The first is this, wise people make the decision to fear the Lord. Wise people make the decision to fear the Lord. Proverbs 1, 7, we read it a moment ago. It says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is insight. So we cannot be wise without first starting in a proper relationship and a proper perspective of the Lord. When you look at humanity's existence in the beginning of Scripture, what you'll see is that God made man in his own image and in his own likeness. And what that means is we don't necessarily look like God, but rather God has given us some of the, the qualities and the attributes about himself into our life. God has emotion. We have emotion. God has the ability to love. We have the ability to love. And one of the most amazing gifts that God has ever given his creation is free will. Humans have free will and the ability to make decisions. And that's what is great, but that's also what gets us in trouble from time to time. And what the Bible teaches us is that we lost our place with God because of sinful decisions that we have made. In the fall of humanity, God took his free will, and excuse me, man took his free will, he took his ability to make decisions, and he did something foolish. And we have followed in that pattern ever since. Adam and Eve did something foolish. They took their free will and made a bad decision to stop fearing the Lord. They thought they could do whatever they want. And that first decision we see was foolish, and it's been repeated all the way up to our lives today where we take from time to time decisions. And we have all done it where we say, God, I'm not going to fear you. I'm going to do my own thing. So Proverbs starts out this book with a declaration that will be repeated over and over again. If you want to live a wise lifestyle, then you have to make the decision of salvation. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of getting wisdom. What this is teaching us is that until you have a holy reverence of the Lord in your life, you are never going to understand true success in your life. Without holy reverence, you do not have a wise foundation. Until you have a holy reverence with the Lord, you don't know how you should treat other people in a God-honoring way. You don't know how you should raise your children. You don't know how you should manage your finances. All of these things, from a biblical perspective, starts with honoring the Lord and reverence for God is the prerequisite for knowledge. 
This is why salvation is based upon a confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's an awe and it's a reverence to the Lord and it's a submission to his will and to his lordship and to his way. That moment that you make that decision to start fearing the Lord, to say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, what happens is the Holy Spirit starts to illuminate your heart. You start to see that Jesus is king and that you should live the way Jesus lived because when you live the way Jesus lived, you are living how God designed you to be. The Holy Spirit makes that possible. No other decision that we're going to talk about today matters until we make that decision to fear and honor the Lord Jesus Christ with our life. The second decision that wise people make is this. Wise people and God-fearing people take ownership. If you want to live a successful life, then you have to take ownership. Proverbs 4, starting verse number 5, it says this. It says, Get wisdom and understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will give you a garland of grace on your head and present you with glorious crowns. What this passage is saying, if you read between the lines, is this. Notice all the action verbs. Get wisdom, get wisdom, get wisdom. And what this proverb is telling us is that gaining wisdom is your responsibility. No one can gain wisdom for your life. It is your responsibility, and we have to take ownership of that. What you will see as you read through the book of Proverbs is a pattern. There is a pattern that plays through time and time again. Wise people don't place blame. They take ownership. They take ownership. They take responsibility in life. They take personal responsibility of the circumstances they face. Wise people understand that ultimate freedom comes when they realize the buck stops with them. This is not the way of the folly. This is not the way of the foolish. If you want to in folly and be guaranteed a life of mediocrity, then all you have to do is blame everyone else and everything else for why you are where you are. Avoidance of personal responsibility is an absolute cancer on our culture and on our people. And many people have stepped into a prison cell and they have locked them in a prison cell and the key is called, it is not my fault. We have stepped in there, we have reached around, we have locked it and said, it's not my fault, and then we've thrown the key away. And we've locked ourselves in a prison. This is a victim mentality, and it's a thing that is rampant in our culture today. We say things like, if I had better opportunity, if I had more support, if I had more money, then my life would have been better. If, if those people had not let me down, if those people had not uh, uh, abandoned me or forsaken me, I would have risen up. Everything would have been different. The victim mentality is, a, is, a, is contrary to the Word of God, is contrary to a a wise lifestyle. This proverb is teaching us that wisdom is available to anyone and to everyone. None of us have an excuse for not having wisdom because wisdom is constantly calling out and the scripture commands us to seek it out. And when we seek it out, we will find it. 
But we can only find it when we take responsibility in life and say, I'm going to do everything I can to find wisdom, to chase after wisdom, and then live by wisdom. If you want wisdom, then you have to understand it's your responsibility to go out and to get it. No one is going to force it into your life. That's why one of the wisest decisions you can make is to take ownership in life. A wise person says, I will accept responsibility for my past. Now, for a lot of us, that's hard to utter those words. Because let's be honest. There are people who have deeply wounded us, have deeply wronged us. There are people who have abandoned us. There are people who have, have sinned against us and it has left us scarred. So when I say we have to take responsibility of our past, I know that there's some resistance to that. Because we say, but you don't know what happened in my past. And I understand that. All of us in this room today, we could go and we could start talking about things that people have done wrong to us, where people have sinned against us. But here's the thing that we need to understand. We can't change what other people have done in our past. We can't change how people have sinned against us. And blaming them for the sin against us doesn't help us have a better tomorrow. A wise decision would say, you know what? Those people sinned against me. Those people did wrong to me. I didn't have everything I was supposed to have. It didn't always work out the way it was, but I'm going to take responsibility today. Because here's what I want you to see. When you take responsibility today, what you're saying is, I'm going to accept where I'm at so I can change where I'm going. I know where I'm at today. I'm going to take responsibility of life. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. The power of the Holy Spirit's inside of me. He's given me his word. He's given me wisdom. All I have to do is take responsibility today and apply it where I want to go tomorrow. And that is liberating and that is free. Taking responsibility sounds like we're adding more to our life. But what taking responsibility does is it opens up the pathway to our destiny. Why? Because we're no longer in the bondage and the chains of someone else. You have the freedom because Jesus is with you. You have the freedom to apply his word. And when you live by his word, we know the descriptive outcome is always going to be a God-honoring, successful life. But when you have the victim mentality and you're constantly blaming other people for why you can't go ahead, what you're doing is, is you're throwing yourself on their slavery. And Jesus did not call us to be slaves. A wise person will always look forward. You will not let your history control your destiny. You'll say, the buck stops with me. I am responsible for my outcome. God has put that under my care. We are here today because of decisions we made tomorrow, and that is bad news for some of us because we're not where we want to be, but it is also the best news we've ever heard because God has given us a framework to move forward. There's this interesting story I read one time about a very wealthy industrialist in the 1920s. He was just beyond imaginably rich. This man could have spent his money on anything that he wanted, and instead he decided to spend his money on a private zoo. The zoo was not open to the public. It was only for his enjoyment. He had all kinds of animals in his zoo, and he had heard about the beautiful gazelle in Africa, and he decided, I want that gazelle in my zoo. 
It also heard that there was no other zoo in the world that had this particular gazelle. And he said, I'm going to be the first and it's going to be mine and I want it for me alone. He became obsessed with this idea of being the first man to have this, uh, this gazelle in his zoo. So he got together a safari to Africa to go catch one of these gazelles. And when he got there, the locals told him, there's no way you are going to catch this animal. It's too fast. You'll never get close enough. They told him, you might be able to shoot one from a distance if you want, but you're not going to catch one. And he said, no, I'm not worried. I'm going to get one. I'm going to get one. The man took oats and barley and he mixed it with molasses and he took this sweet field, this sweet feed into the field and he let it out there for the gazelles to start to eat. And he did this every day for three weeks. He put out those, the sweet feed and the gazelle just started eating on it. Then after three weeks, he decided to go out there and he put up one post and he put the sweet feed down. Then the next night, 20 feet apart, he put in a second post. And he did this every day. He put out the field and he put in another post. He put out the feed and he put in another post. And he did this until finally he started to get an enclosure around. And then he would start putting up boards one at a time. And he did this every night. He was dedicated to this cause until finally the gazelle were in there. And the last night he was able to put up the remaining boards and he was able to trap them in there. And he was asked, how did you know that you could catch the animals? And the man replied this, I treat the gazelle the same way I treat people. I give them what they want in exchange. They give me their freedom and their beauty. Many people have wanted to escape from responsibility. And in the process of giving up their responsibility, they have also given up their freedom for the future and the beauty that God has created them to live in. We have got to make the wise decisions to take responsibility. Where do we need to take responsibility? Where do you need to take responsibility? Only you know. Is it in your marriage? Is it in your family? Is it in your health? Is it in your careers? Is it in your education? Is your walk with God? I don't know. But we have to take responsibility. The third thing I want you to see is this. God-fearing wise people are people of action. God-fearing wise people are people of action. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 says this, Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. Without having chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food at harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? Will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. This is a proverb we looked at in a previous uh, sermon, and here's what I want you to see out of it, is that wise people are always prone to action. Wise people are prone to action. And when you read through the book of Proverbs, what you see is that wisdom requires action. Wisdom is not lived out in a passive lifestyle. Rather, wisdom is lived out in an active, moving life. The proverb is encouraging us to look at the ant, and the ant doesn't have anyone forcing them to gather at the harvest. The ant just sees what's required and has a decided heart to get to work. The foolish, by contrast, according to this passage, are the lazy. The foolish exchange long-term success for short-term comfort in the moment. The foolish lie in slumber and sleep. The foolish let things happen. The wise make things happen. The wise person says to themselves, when I'm faced with a choice to do nothing or to do something, I will always choose to act. I will seize the moment. I will choose to do something. 
I referenced Andy Andrews earlier, and I want to read to you another quote. He said this. He said, many people move out of the way for a person on the run. Others get caught up in his wake. I want you to think about that. Think about the people in your life who you have seen that God has done amazing things through their life. It was never because they sat down in a chair and never moved. God did something through their life, either personal, through the ministry, through their career, whatever, because these people were prone to action. They did something. When you become a person of action, it's amazing at the wake that you will leave in your life. When you become a person of action, it will literally affect every single area of your life and will inspire other people around you to leave a legacy, not only in their life, but also in your family. The wise take action because action is a wise decision to make. It doesn't do any good to be wise and not make any actions. Wisdom is always lived out in movement. Now, we all know that. We know that we actually have to do something, but the truth is a lot of us don't take action because we're afraid to move, or worse, we're waiting for something to open up in life. We're waiting on God to make something happen, and the reality is is that sometimes we have to make things happen. Most of the time, we're waiting on God, but I really, truly believe there's a lot of times that God is actually waiting on us because we already know His Word. Now, it always comes down to the decision. How do I know when to wait, and how do I know when to go forward? Because sometimes there is times to wait, and sometimes there is time to go forward. It's a very difficult thing to understand sometimes. But here's what I believe. I believe a lot of times we can know by knowing what our flesh doesn't want to do. Right? A lot of times what God's calling us to do is the very thing our flesh doesn't want to do. It's been my personal experience, and maybe you have been there as well, is where I know the next move I need to take, but I don't want to because my flesh doesn't want to do it. God, I know you've called me to maybe be generous to this person over here, but I don't want to do that. Anybody ever been there? God, I know that you've called me to be a witness to that person, but that makes me uncomfortable. I don't really want to do that. God, I know that you've called me to, to be prudent, maybe start saving up some money so we can do some different things for our family and for other people, but I like just spending money where I got it right now. God, I know that I probably should go apologize for my spouse for the words I said to them a while ago, but I don't want to do that. You know what I'm saying? That's how we know a lot of times what we're supposed to do because our flesh doesn't want to do it. But the wise person and the moment when they see these things, when they see these things in their life, they choose to go forward against the grain of their flesh. They choose to do things that their flesh doesn't want to do because God's calling them to do that. The foolish don't do that. They cater to their wants and their desires. The foolish allow themselves to be paralyzed by fear. Fear is a misuse of the creativity that God's given you. We have to be people of action. We have to do something. Sometimes we don't know what to do. We'll start doing something. I had my youth pastor. um, She was amazing, and her husband was one of my favorite people ever. His name was Dan Hunter, and Dan was one of the quietest guys you'll ever meet. But Dan would always say this, whenever it felt like things were getting kind of stale, like we were in a worship practice or something and need to move on, Dan would say, let's just do something even if it's wrong. And there's so much wisdom in that. Because a lot of us, we get paralyzed by fear. We don't even know what to do. But I know this, a lot of times we say stagnant, we're not any good. Calvin Coolidge says we can't do everything at once, but we can do something at once. We need to approach things with wisdom. Where do you need to take some action in your life? 
Maybe it's getting out of bed. Maybe it's reading a book. Maybe it's dating your wife. Maybe it's studying the Word of God. Maybe it's going back to school. Maybe it's working a little harder than required. Maybe it's engaging with your kids more on your phone. What decision you need to make of action? Fourth thing is this. Why is God honoring people make decisions of self-discipline? Self-discipline. I just referenced this a moment ago, that wisdom always requires us to deny the flesh. Therefore, if we're going to have wise outcomes in life, then we're going to have to start living a life of self-discipline. If it was easy to be wise, everybody would do it. I didn't really know what proverb to pick for this one because you read all of them and it requires self-discipline. You open any of the Proverbs and start reading it, you realize that if I'm going to live according to this wisdom, then it's going to require me to deny my flesh, to be self-controlled, to have some discipline in my life if I'm, ordered, if I'm going to live that out. 1 Corinthians 9.27 says this, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should not be disqualified. The Apostle Paul says, I beat my body making it my slave. I make it do what my spirit knows it should do, because if I don't beat my body, my body's going to get and go over here and do what's foolish. I make it my slave. Self-control is the fruit of the spirit. Without Christ in your heart, you're always going to be a slave to your own passions. But when Jesus illuminates your heart, it gives us the ability to walk in self-control. The question we always have to ask ourselves is this, can I make myself do something today that I do not want to do in order to get something tomorrow that I really want. Every single thing about self-control is that question. You're like, man, I really don't like reading books. But I read that a lot of successful people read books. So can I make myself read this book to get an outcome that I want tomorrow? I really don't like doing certain dates with my wife. Can we just be honest? <laughs> right? Like, I don't want to go paint little flower pictures. I did that once. You guys remember that? Like, I don't want to do that. But I want a healthy marriage. Can I exchange an hour and a half of painting a flower in a pot for a happy marriage? That's a good... How many women, you like shooting guns? How many women like... Like, can you go... Maybe that's not your thing, though. Can I go with my husband and sit in a deer stand for an hour and a half to have a healthy marriage? Is that an exchange I want? Can I avoid going to the restaurant today so I'm not in debt tomorrow? Can I read my Bible today so that I know how not to cuss out my coworker tomorrow? Right? <laughs> Anybody ever been there? If I do that, we're really in trouble, right? <laughs> can I, so I can have this exchange? Fifth thing is this. Why is God fearing people make the decision to associate with godly people? Proverbs eleven fourteen says this, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. In the Proverbs, there's a lot that's said about who we associate with, and the reason for that is that the fool always associates with foolish people, and the wise always, always associate with wise people. Why is that? Because you're going to ultimately share the views, the habits, and the lifestyle of whoever you surround yourself with. I want you to think about that. Whoever you associate with, you're going to share their views, their habits, and their lifestyle. And guess what the result is? You're also going to share their outcomes. So if you associate with people who are lazy, who accept mediocrity, who don't dream, who don't learn, who don't have passion in their heart, then what do you think you're going to be like? 
Exact same thing. But if you associate with people who, who excel and who are driven and who try to go a little bit more than required, who have big dreams, who are constantly trying to learn, who have passion in their heart, trying to be more like Jesus, who do you think you're going to be like? You're going to be like them. A lot of people have said that a true friend accepts you for just as you are. But if that's the case, then you're never going to have any friends who help you grow beyond where you're at. A true friend accepts you for who you are. That's a, that's a terrible piece of advice. The kid at the drive-thru accepts you for who you are, and he doesn't care the outcome of your life. A true friend is going to hold you to a higher standard. A true friend is going to make you better because of their presence. If you want to get better in any area of your life, then you better surround yourself with people that are better than you. But that requires you to be secure. Because when you get around somebody who's better than you, you're going to see your deficiencies. So in the moment, it's not about comparing yourself, it's about learning. You get around someone whose their marriage is stellar, you might see the deficiency in your own marriage. But I'm not comparing my spouse to them. What I'm doing is I'm learning from them so I can love my spouse more. You might get around somebody who knows the Bible better than you, and then you walk away, and you say, man, I'm an idiot. I don't know anything about the Scripture. No, it's not about me comparing myself to that person. I'm learning from them so I can apply it to my life. In my context, I can go, I got this amazing privilege this last week. I got to go down, and it's kind of a long story, but there's this cohort thing. I got to go down with my childhood hero in the faith. He preached a lot of my youth camps. His name was Brian Jarrett. He's at a church just on the north side of Dallas. When he got there, they had 600, and now they have over 7,000 people associated with their church. And I get to go be a part of a group that just gets to ask him questions six times throughout the year. And we're down there, and I'm looking at it. It would be easy to go down there and say, man, Brian Jarrett's done all this stuff, and, and we, we, we don't see the same things that he does. But I'm not there to compare myself or my calling to him. I'm there to learn from him so I can apply it to my life. And that's why when we surround ourselves with the right people, that there is some assurance, there's some safety, because we have these counselors around us that are helping us grow. But where there's no guidance, where there's nothing to learn from, when we're surrounding ourselves with the wrong people, what the proverb says is that people fall. Are you surrounding yourself by people that are raising you up or bringing you down? Now, here's another question. Have you surrounded yourself by someone who can teach? Who are you discipling? See, this isn't just about, man, I don't want to associate with people who aren't where I'm at. That's, you're missing the whole point. Sometimes what some of us need is we need some disciples in our life, some people that we're coaching, that we're training up. Because how many of you, when you start telling other people about Jesus and you start showing them the Scripture, it reminds you how you should be living? They say if you are, uh, say you can play the guitar. They say one of the best ways to progress in your guitar playing is by teaching someone else. Why? Because it forces you to stay ahead of them. It forces you to refine the fundamentals. It forces you to push yourself farther. And it's the same thing in our faith. We need many advisors. I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. As Christians, we're called to be wise. And these are five decisions that wise people make. And these five decisions are going to propel you in life, propel you for the life that God has ordained for you. What decision do you need to make? Wise people make the decision to fear the Lord. Maybe you haven't been fearing the Lord like you need to. Wise people fear the Lord. Wise people and God-fearing people take ownership in life. What area of your life 
do you need to take ownership? What area of your life isn't going the direction you wish it would that you need to take ownership? God-fearing, wise people are people of action. Don't be paralyzed in indecision. Don't be paralyzed in inaction. Don't be paralyzed in fear. What decision, what action do you need to make? Wise, God-fearing people make the decision of self-discipline. No one can make us do this. Only we can do this. Holy Spirit's not going to take over your body and force you to live in a God-honoring way. Holy Spirit indwells in you, illuminates you, and gives you the ability to make the right decision of self-control. Fifth, wise, God-fearing people make the decision to associate with godly people. Now understand me on something. You are already making these decisions. Every decision I've just said, you are making those decisions today. Young people, you are making that decision. You are already making that decision. Adults, you are already making every single one of those decisions. The question is, is what decision are you making? Are you making the right decision or the wrong decision? When it comes to self-control, you're already making the decision of self-control. Are you living the self-controlled lifestyle or you're not? When it comes to action, you're already making that decision. Are you, just, are you choosing to take action or are you choosing to stand still? Fearing the Lord, you're already making that decision. Are you fearing God? Are you honoring Him in your life? Or have you pushed Him to the back burner? Today, the great thing that we have to understand is that we are making decisions and we can live with wisdom. If you would, please stand with me this morning. This morning, I just want to pray for you. I want to pray that we would be people that make God-honoring decisions. That we would be a people that when given the opportunity, we make these decisions that lead us to the wise lifestyle. That we would not make decisions that lead us to the foolish lifestyle that we make decisions that lead us to the wise lifestyle. If you would, just bow your head.